Today we take you on a ranch tour as we head north into the Canadian province of Alberta and located on the Highwood River sits the OH Ranch of the Calgary Stampede. It's a working cattle ranch but for the Calgary Stampede it serves as a platform to tell the story of our ranching industry. I said hey we got to start telling our story and educating people on what we do and how well we do it. Manager Ken Pigeon and his wife Deb join me today as we get an inside look at the OH Ranch. From normal, everyday ranch work to management practices and their relationship with the Nature Conservancy. We're not trying to sanitize anything. We're just, we've adapted a few practices, but like Ken said, a lot of stuff is still done traditionally. Join us for a tour of the Calgary Stampede's OH Ranch on this episode of the Working Ranch Ranch Radio Show. Hi, everyone, and welcome back again. This is the Working Ranch Radio Show, and I'm your host, Justin Mills. We thank you for joining us here on our program. I'm coming to you all the way, as I do each and every week, from the sagebrush, greasewood-covered flats of northeastern Wyoming. I always tell you, if you've listened before, I've said I'm on the edge of the Black Hills. Well, I, I literally am on the Black Hills, and when you leave out of the trees, that's what you have. We have flat country with a lot of sagebrush and some greasewood out there. But nevertheless, it's good to have you with us on our program today. We're going to be taking you on a ranch tour. Yeah, it's the OH Ranch up in Alberta, Canada that the Calgary Stampede has. We're going to talk about how that came to be. Plus, we're going to talk about their management practices and their relationship with the Nature Conservancy. Now, now here's the deal. I don't want anybody to get any preconceived ideas about that. I know there's uh, probably some folks that when you hear that, you might think, well, what in the world are we going to hear today? But please, I encourage you to stay with us as Ken and Deb Pigeon. Ken is the ranch manager. They are going to be my guest today as we hear about what their role is uh, there on the ranch and, uh, and of course, what the ranch's role is for the Calgary Stampede and how they operate that as a cattle working ranch. So be sure to stay with us on our ranch tour today of the OH Ranch that the Calgary Stampede has. Also, of course, joining us, meteorologist Don Day will be in for the very last part of our program to give us a look at our long-term weather and of course the captain will be up in just a few moments for this week's edition of Tim's Two Cents. Right now a quick thank you to our sponsors of the Working Ranch Radio Show, Gelvy Balancer, the smart, reliable, and profitable choice. For more information go to gelvy.org and Zoetis, it's the little things that could derail progress that your herd can be covered. Visit getlessparasites.com for solutions from Zoetis and the American Akaushi Association. Experience the difference at akaushi.com. Well, right now, a special program this week, Captain. I did this one just for you. I know you had some working time up in Canada, so I know you'd appreciate our program here today. But let's head to you now for this week's edition of Tim's Two Cents. Hey, Justin, and a special shout out to all you tractor jockeys out there going round and round and round. It's the middle of August, probably on your third cut of hay. Hopefully some of you didn't even get that. And uh, harvest is coming up here pretty quick. We're going to do silaging and it's looking pretty good. So I hope you're listening to the radio show and the podcast here and enjoying it. Go back 
to a lot of the podcasts that Justin put up here. Uh, I think this is episode 83. Man, we've done a lot. Now, I've got... This comes from the Center for Rural Affairs, um, written by Eric Galatis, Public News Service, Nebraska. Nebraska's smaller meat lockers challenge to ramp up capacity. The Nebraska Department of Agriculture is accepting applications for grants through the Independent Processor Assistance Program. Jonathan Hladek, Policy Director at the Center for Rural Affairs, said the agency is expected to distribute nearly $10 million from the American Rescue Plan Act to Nebraskans in an effort to improve and expand the state's meat processing capabilities. All right, this is a quote from Mr. Haladic. The program is designed to help our small and mid-sized meat lockers expand in the state. These are lockers that are typically located in the small towns, serving farmers in the area and providing a product that consumers otherwise wouldn't be able to access. So folks, check it out. Uh, This is Nebraska Department of Agriculture, and I want to follow up on this in a year or so, see who made it, see uh, how easy it was to get a grant, and uh, what the future's like. Get back to Justin. Give him the contact info, Justin. Ah, you bet, Captain, and here it is. My phone number, you can get a hold of me at 307-363-COWS. That's 307-363-COWS. Or send me an email at justin.workingranch at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you on that. Well, stay with us. Coming up next, we take that ranch tour we've been talking about. It's the OH Ranch of the Calgary Stampede. Coming up next, when we return on the Working Ranch Radio Show. At the American Akaushi Association, we're more than prime. The American Akaushi Association was created to help ranchers be more profitable and find opportunities when using Akaushi genetics in their herd. We focus on market opportunities for our members and offer support from conception to consumer. When you choose Akaushi, you have a network right there with you. Experience the difference at Akaushi.com. That's A-K-A-U-S-H-I.com. And we welcome you back here to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills. As we head into our featured part of our program here today, a little bit different direction because we're going to go on a ranch tour. And if you joined us in the first segment, you heard me refer to it that way. And we're going to be touring the OH Ranch, which is, as I said earlier, owned and operated by the Calgary Stampede Foundation. Now, it was given to them back in 2012. And I'm not going to go into a lot of detail because I'm going to let our guests today give us more detail about the ranch. And our guests today are Ken and Deb Pigeon. Now, Ken is the ranch manager there of the OH Ranch for the Calgary Stampede and Deb. Uh, Deb is the one that handles a lot of the paperwork. Is what Ken was telling me. So, for to both of you, thanks for joining us here on the program. And so, Ken, let's start first by giving us a little bit of a background here of the OH Ranch. Hi, folks. This is uh, Ken Pigeon from the OH Ranch in uh, Longview, Alberta, just uh, <laughs> southwest of Calgary, about an hour and fifteen minutes. Give you a little history on the ranch. Uh, the ranch was uh, first came in in 1881 with two fellows named Orville Hawkins Smith and Lafayette French. If you take the O and the H from Orville Hawkins, you come up with the OH brand. They registered that brand in 1881. It was the 25th brand to be registered in Alberta at that time. And then uh, it's one of the two oldest continuously used brands 
in the province. Okay. And then uh, in 1883, them two boys, they got a little uh, antsy to go look for gold. So uh, they sold the property to the Ings brothers. And when the Ings brothers got here, the Highwood River, which flows through parts of the ranch, um, was flooding. And they had a little trouble crossing the river. And uh, they kind of changed the name to the Rio Alto Ranch. And Rio Alto in Spanish means high water. And it stayed as the Rio Alto right up until 1950s um, when uh, Pat Burns owned it then and then he sold it off in the 1950s. And the, rain, the, the ranch's name was officially changed back to the OH Ranch. And then in 1987, a fellow by the name of Doc Seaman uh, purchased the ranch. And he was uh, kind of ahead of his time. He was kind of an environmentalist in ways because the uh, Canadian military was trying to purchase the ranch as a training ground. And Doc couldn't see that happening. So under his leadership, he bought the ranch. And under his leadership, uh, he had a few things that he really wanted to focus on. Uh, one was conservation management. Two was rest and rotational grazing. Three was off-stream watering, get them out of the uh, the creek beds and out of the out of the river. And then he also moved away from hay production and uh, reseeded uh, any hayland back to native grass. Wasn't totally successful of of that stuff that he seeded. Probably 60% of that is still tame grass. Mm-hmm. And then in 2007 or around there, Doc also received from the Alberta government the Environmental Stewardship Award for ranches. Ken, I'm going to jump in real quick and ask a question here in, in regards to the size of the operation. It's not a normal question I would ask any rancher out there unless they were to offer that up. But in light of the fact that the OH Ranch is in the public quite a bit, how big is the OH Ranch? The ranch is 8,000 acres. So... 4,000 deeded, 4,000 is, is lease. And in 2008, Doc got the lease land designated as heritage range land. And the goal there was to manage lease and deeded lands in a consistent manner. But to get the deeded lands tied in, he also brought another partner in called the Nature Conservancy of Canada. And the Nature Conservancy of Canada is basically an ecological gift program that is to conserve and manage lands in a natural state and as a legacy for future generations. And this program for the Nature Conservancy only applies to deeded land. And that deeded land has to meet specific national criteria to even be thought of for the Nature Conservancy to take it. And then in 2012, um, well, 2011, Bill Sieben bought the property from Doc Seaman and they were buddies. And the original ranch was 16,000 acres. So what happened was uh, Bill Seidman donated or gifted the south half of the ranch, the Calgary Stampede, uh, for their 100th anniversary of the Calgary Stampede in 2012. That's kind of a brief history of where we're at and how we got to be on the ranch. Okay. And this wasn't, of course, the very first ranch that the Calgary Stampede had. And I know you guys don't manage the other ranch, which is uh, which is also in operation by the Calgary Stampede. But it wasn't the first, technically the first ranch that the Calgary Stampede was, was having to manage. No, they have a ranch in Hannah, Alberta, and they call it the Stampede Ranch. And... Uh, it's about 22,000 acres, and uh, it basically runs uh, the bucking horse program, the born to buck program, and any bucking bulls or, or, or rodeo livestock are at the Hannah Ranch. Mm-hmm. 
So you had talked about that when Doc Siemens came in, there was a lot of uh, practices, conservation practices that were put into place at that particular time. And then there was a uh, collaboration with the Nature Conservancy in that. Is that management, uh, do you continue to this day with some of those practices that he implemented in that? Yeah, actually we do. And we try to improve on them if we can. You know, so um, the Nature Conservancy is on the deeded land and say we want to go develop a spring or do something that might disturb the ground, um, the native ground, we have to go and get an approval from the Nature Conservancy to do that. And uh, that, that there's, there's a certain amount of paperwork, hence Deb, uh, <laughs> that has to be done with that to get those approvals. Because it's considered an ecological gift the, uh, the, to the NCC, uh, a lot of times your approvals come from Ottawa. Mm-hmm. Depending on your project that you're doing and the extent of it, if it's a brand new project and it's turning new ground, yeah, some of those projects do have to go all the way through Ottawa, like Ken said, for approval. Other times, if it's an existing um, unit or an existing project that we've got and it's just repairing, sometimes it can be done locally, but it, it, it's a little bit more in-depth, that's for sure, with paperwork and approval processes. Mm-hmm. That sounds very similar to what you guys are doing with what we hear down in in the states with what we would call conservation easements, where somebody has sold off the developmental rights to a property, and they're working with an entity that has those that has that. And there was, of course, when that conservation easement was put together, it was done with a plan in place of here's here's what can be done or can't be done. How does that? As you said, there is some paperwork with that in all. I mean, are you able to, you know, work it as a, as a good, productive working ranch with some of that paperwork and, the, and all of the things that need to be done with the Nature Conservancy? Definitely. We, we work quite closely with the Nature Conservancy. They're a good partner, actually, and uh, it, it works out really well for the most part, yes. I think for some um, smaller ranchers, it could be a little bit cumbersome, and um, certain projects, you know, it, you know, let's just say it's water development. Mm-hmm. It could be a little bit lengthy, uh, waiting for approvals to come through. But as a general rule, they've been pretty good to work with, like Ken said, and they also provide funding for different projects as well. So it is a bit of a win-win situation, mm-hmm. um, and of course, the the long term legacy of that is literally preserving those lands uh, for future generations and of course it's they're just um, designated for agricultural purposes so there's no option to sell off any of the deeded land and maybe set up condos or something like that it's just not an option Mm -hmm. because that is uh, it's protected for in perpetuity yeah well, I, I'm pretty sure as you were commenting there in regards to your relationship and the work that you have to do with the Nature Conservancies that we had a few ears perk up for for listeners because I know uh, that's an entity that we're familiar with here in the United States as well. And not to make an opinion about them on one way or the other, I think really the issue in relation as we talk about your working relationship with Nature Conservancies is just the defensiveness that we in the 
ranching industry have a lot of times in in these kind of agreements with these entities, whatever entity that may be that is quote wanting to preserve the land and hoping that is it a relationship that in the long one is not only going to preserve the land but also going to preserve agriculture as well and it sounds like the you all's working relationship with them is doing that well to a degree yes um we're actually in a partnership to deal with this with ncc the tongue creek ranch the ranch north of us and uh, the university of saskatchewan on a study about brush encroachment on native grasslands. It's gonna be a three year study because as it is, we're, we're probably in Alberta, we've lost 74% of native grasslands. Mm-hmm. So we're fighting to keep them, but there's a lot of regulations in place with the Alberta Environment and Parks on our lease land and with NCC sometimes that make it difficult to have a case to go to them and say, this is what's happening. So we are, we're, we're funding this study out of our own pocket and we're going to hopefully have some answers so that when we go to these meetings, we have the right information to help us with the brush encroachment problem. Yeah. But with NCC being a partner in this program, uh, that's a step forward for all of us as well. And so they see the challenges from our side as a working ranch. Um, they present the challenges, you know, on their end. And it's a... Uh, so far, we've you know we're finding some pretty uh, workable solutions, and they will be providing uh, some funding as well, which is um, which is pretty awesome. And actually, we just had a a tour group out here in at the end of July, and it was the, through our local foothills and forage grazing association. So we brought out about 65 local ranchers, and. Um, we talked about the partnership and talked about working with NCC and they gave a, you know, they gave a good presentation and we will see where this takes us. Um, you know, we've, we're looking at it very positively. So yeah, hopefully we can move ahead on things that might've been uh, a bit of a, a deterrent or a bit of a stumbling block. You bet. Part of this study is, is also involves fire, right? Eh? As a way to, to, to stop brush encroachment. Yeah, you bet. And that, of course, uh, is a big issue. There's no question about that. My guests today are Ken and Deb Pidge, and they are the ranch, or Ken is the ranch manager for the OH Ranch. Now, it is a, a property that was donated to the Calgary Stampede Foundation. They have been the sole managers of that ranch since it was donated in 2012. When we come back, we're going to continue to talk more with them, and we'll get into some of the enterprises and the mix that they're doing and the, the normal ranching operations that they're doing uh, on the OH Ranch when we return on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Every little thing is important to cattle producers, from daily chores to parasite control. Just like protection is important to us. Based on approved labels, Valbison Suspension covers 25% more parasites and life stages than Safeguard. Visit GetLessParasites.com for more solutions from Zoetis. Consult your veterinarian for assistance in the diagnosis, treatment, and control of parasitism. 
And we welcome you back here to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills. My guests today are Ken and Deb Pigeon with the OH Ranch. Now, that is a ranch that is uh, was donated to the Calgary Stampede back in 2012. And, and if you were listening in the first segment, you heard the history of where that ranch started clear back uh, before even it was donated to the Calgary Stampede and the long history of that as a working ranch uh, from the very early times. Ken, let's get now into just the, the ranch. That some of the day-to-day stuff that you do, you know, because I think when when folks think of Calgary Stampede, they they pretty much think of a the event that takes place every summer, but also the the phenomenal bucking stock that make up the Calgary Stampede of their bucking string that they send down the road and they use for their own uh, event. But there's also there's also a real working ranch component, which is what you all do at the OH Ranch. So let's get into that from an enterprise mix and just what what all is part of your ranch that you guys are managing on the OH Ranch for the Calgary Stampede? Basically, we're a cow-calf operation, and uh, we've got 8,000 acres, but we only run about 300 head of cow-calf pairs. Uh, we have uh, Angus cows, black and red, with there, there's some Hereford influence in it, but we breed all our cows back to purebred black and Angus bulls. And then on top of that, the cow operation, we also uh, usually in the summer... We um, summer grass about 50 head of young buck and horses for the Hannah Ranch. Our, uh, our calves, we sell them annually on a video sale. We don't hold back any of our replacement heifers. We buy replacement heifers from, from a fellow that sold as part of the original herd in 2012. And it's the, it keeps our bloodlines and keeps everything good for us. And we're really happy with our partnership with him. We also are part of the Verified Beef Production Plus program, and that's basically an on-farm food safety with standards and regulations, traceability. Uh, the Plus was added in the last couple of years, and it's more to deal with now animal care, biosecurity, environmental stewardship, consumer confidence. Everything ranchers are, are, are fighting, one of the biggest fights we have is with, uh, with consumer confidence. So mm-hmm. we're trying to get our educational story out there so that people hear that their, their food is actually very safe and, and uh, raised humanely. Now with that as well, um, we also manage a um, cattle handling program um, and tracking program called Herd Tracks. And with that, uh, we can track every cc of drugs that we need to give when we're doctoring. We, uh, we can track all the movements of the cattle. We, uh, we track shipping. We track sales. We track uh, mortalities. Um, everything that, uh, you know, goes on with a cattle herd. And so that uh, program is a great management tool for, for the ranch as well. And we implemented that about uh, four years ago. So that kind of falls right into line with the Verified Beef Program. Um, Again, it's consumer confidence, as Ken said, and uh, we have to do an audit, a self-audit every year on that. And then every five years, they they do an actual audit, and uh, they audit the the cow herd, our rangeland, and uh, our animal care practices and all of that kind of thing. So it's a little more intensive. It's uh, Mind you, a lot of people are utilizing technology today and we're no different Mm -hmm. so um this is an online cattle tracking program and so far we've been very very happy with it Mm -hmm. 
When you talk about the cattle tracking, just making sure that that is that just a, a, a cattle management type software. It's not. Is it tied into any GPS where you're physically tracking the animal, or is it more just like for you from a management standpoint? It's it is definitely more from a management standpoint. <clears throat> yeah, there's no there's no GPS tracking or anything like that. Um, if we want to get into a little bit more technology, we are looking at uh, getting a drone, and we have a lot of a fair amount of, of uh, land to cover. So, you know, up in the lease, it's it's pretty dense, and we'd like to have a drone so that we can send it over a ridge, and you know, it might save us an hour or two of riding. So that's another thing that we're looking at to, uh, you know, just to bring into the into the management scope of everything mm-hmm. as far as technology goes, but. Uh, yeah, I know that uh, you know things are changing nowadays, yeah. and it the whole industry is getting more technical. <laughs> yeah, so this is all part and parcel of that. Yeah, it is. Well, I'll tell you, if you are interested in in the drone, you need to go back and listen to about three shows ago because we actually did a show on the on the Working Ranch Radio show of about a drone because I actually use a drone on my ranching operation as well and find it very useful. So um, let's talk about your just just the geography because uh, you know what 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 does it look like there? I mean, what kind of makeup of ground do you have uh, as far as your grass? and, you know, how much topography and those kinds of things? Well, actually, uh, we're right in the foothills of Alberta. So we, the ranch kind of backs on to the Kananaskis country, which is uh, basically a Rocky Mountains just before Banff National Park. So we're right on the foothills of that. So we do get Chinooks, which really help in the winter. Mm-hmm. It takes snow away. And uh, with the way we manage our cows, we can usually get away here Till about Christmas time or just after Christmas before we have to feed. Okay. We can graze them right up until end of December, beginning of January before we have to start feeding. The Chinooks really melt the snow and the cattle can still get to the grass, eh? Yeah. So we have a, a, a real variety of grasslands here. We have a lot of um, Timothy, Brome, Sizer Vetch, uh, Rough Fescue, Red Fescue, Kentucky Bluegrass. And then as we move up, into our lease it's more of a more more rugged it gets a lot more rugged then we get a lot more woody species where we'll have aspen and spruce and dwarf birch and willow and wild rose just to name a few of the things that grow up there um some of the issues we'll have back there is is we'll have larkspur you know because it gets some wet shaded areas back there and that's as you know is very Mm -hmm. uh very toxic to cattle um and we also have another one called Code Flax, which is also toxic to cattle that we have to keep an eye on. And if we see it, we hand pick it. Mm-hmm. Um, if we if it's too big a patch, we'll actually hire out to have it sprayed, and we will spot spray ourselves if we can. But uh, we prefer not to use chemicals if possible. But uh, sometimes it's it's a bigger job than we can do by hand. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. You bet. We also have a lot of Canada thistle. <laughs> um, couple types of thistle, but Canada thistle yeah. is a big one. And so it's, it's an ongoing program. Um, it's, it's cyclical. And, you know, so every two to three years, we have contractors come in to do an overall spray just to keep that under control. And again, this goes back to keeping our native grasslands intact mm-hmm. um, without too much encroachment. And it's a, it's a big, it's a big issue for many ranchers, obviously not just us and uh, Tongue Creek to the north of us, but um, yeah, so the encroachment, it, it looks quite different now, 
than it did if you went back to the 40s and 50s on some of our ridges and some of the leased land. Uh, it's, it's very dense now, very covered in woody species, whereas back then uh, it was mostly grassland. Yeah. So it's interesting to be looking at all of this now and uh, just fig- figuring out ways to mitigate and to monitor some of this encroachment. But we have some pretty nice rolling grasslands in our on our deeded land yeah. and then, of course, into the lease. Uh, we got some big ridges and, like say, heavily treed and quite a bit fairly dense back in there. Um, about three ridges that drop down into coolies and back up uh, to the top of the ridges. So it's it's fairly diversified mm-hmm. as far as the, the landscape itself. Mm-hmm. But we are we are bordering Kananaskis country, so we're we're in the foothills, but we're we're bordering the mountains pretty close. Yeah, so we end up grizzly bear, black bear, wolves. So we, we do lose a few a few head to predators. On that note, though, if we're speaking about uh, wildlife, we've done up a habitat conservation strategy through a group called Multisar. And uh, they're basically a multi-species conservation group that uh, helps to promote stewardship uh, through the participation of landowners on both crown and private land. And so what the study has done is given us a planning tool for the care of wildlife habitat and livestock forage. So again, it's a balancing act, right? Mm-hmm. And the collaboration now at this point between ranchers and some of these agencies that are part of Multisar, it's resulted in uh, the stewardship of about 382,000 acres just in Southern Alberta. Mm-hmm. And I, they do mention that many species of habitat that are found in the Alberta grasslands, they exist because of positive practices by the ranching community. Mm-hmm. So that's fairly significant of, uh, you know, what ranching ranchers actually do. Yeah. Uh, what's your average precipitation? How much rain, snowfall do you have there? Well, this year we're short. We've had about 10 <laughs> inches. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, we're usually up there 14 to 16 inches of rain okay. per year. And for some reason, because we're in these foothills, it, that's all it takes to really get the grass. Well, and I've I've also heard along those same lines is that the further north you get, the less you can actually get less precipitation. Jim Garish is uh, is a gentleman I've interviewed here and a kind of a grazing expert to some across the country here, and he said that all along is that the further north you get, you know, fourteen to sixteen inches down in in Arizona or Texas may not get you what fourteen and sixteen inches could get you as you move further north. So I th- I think you're right. I think uh, when you talk about the size a ranch and, and the amount of production that you're getting off that, I'd say uh, you're doing quite well. Yeah, we, we've done really well. We've been in kind of a drought situation the last couple of years, and this year was really bad. Our dugouts had dried up and everything, and then we got the miracle rain in June, and <laughs> they all filled back up, Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. and we usually use solar pumps in the dugouts and pump them out to troughs to the cows. And we were pretty worried. We were talking about having to pump water out of the Highwood River to make these dugout Philly dugouts again. Huh. My guests today are Ken and Deb Pigeon. They are the ranch managers for the OH Ranch with the Calgary Stampede. When we come back, we're going to talk about, as we all find ourselves here in the ranching industry, sometimes we are the targets for extreme groups that are wanting to see ranching go away. We're going to talk with them about that. No doubt, being part of the Calgary Stampede, the target's quite big for them, and we're going to talk about how they deal with it when we return on the Working Ranch Radio Show. 
For commercial cow-calf producers, crossbreeding with Galvay and Balancer is the smart, reliable, and profitable choice. Galvay and Balancer females offer maternal superiority through increased fertility, greater longevity, and more pounds of calf wean per cow exposed. In the feed yard, Balancer cattle can offer increased performance, improve feed efficiency, and have excellent carcass merit. Balancers add the pounds, make the grade, and deliver the value. Gelvy and Balancer, the smart, reliable, and profitable choice. For more information, go to gelvate.org. And we welcome you back here to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills. My guests today are Ken and Deb Pigeon with the OH Ranch that is part of the Calgary Stampede. And Ken is the ranch manager and Deb is the manager of the ranch manager. We were joking about that a little bit ago, but she does helps with a lot of the book work and the paperwork for the ranch there. So I appreciate you two joining us here on our program. If you're just joining us, we did talk a lot about the history of the OH Ranch and how it came to be in Alberta, Canada, up there on the Highwood River. And then we also talked about some of the ranching practices and the enterprise mix that they have as well. Uh, Ken and, and Deb, either one, I guess I, I want to go now into just what both, whether you're in Canada or whether you're in the in the United States, it really doesn't matter. There is definitely folks out there that have ranching as a target for them to see that being eliminated from our, our world in general. And I know with you all being part of the the Calgary Stampede with the OH Ranch being part of the Calgary Stampede, I'm guessing, as we said earlier, your target is quite large and so that they're looking at. So how how do you deal with that? Well, our main thing is uh, Calgary Stampede especially, and at the OH, we're really committed to some education. So once a year we do what is called Open Farm Days in Alberta, where we invite the public to come and we give them tours and explain to them what ranching is about and what we're doing because they all want a chunk of land, right? But they don't understand when they all drill wells, what it does to aquifers and stuff like that. We also are fortunate enough that we bring in uh, 20 school groups in the spring and 20 school groups in the fall. And most of these are city kids that have never been on a ranch. And we educate them on what ranching's about. And uh, the whole program is about sustainability in ranching. And we do a lot of community outreach, like we'll host the Foothills Forage Grazing Association and other ranchers. We do local events out here, and it's all part and parcel of educating people. And uh, one of the questions we got at one of these events was uh, Beyond Meat. What do you think about Beyond Meat? Well, Beyond Meat to me is a personal choice, but it also woke the ranchers up and said, hey, we got to start telling our story and educating people on what we do and how well we do it. So, and also an answer to that question, um, because the Calgary Stampede is a large organization, uh, they do have people specifically in place that do look after, um, you know, any types of target groups that, uh, you know, are against uh, rodeo, against uh, raising beef, against anything like that. So they do have specific personnel that literally address those issues. Um, We're fortunate, I think, where we're located out here. Anyone that comes out here, and that's usually only the one day a year on open farm days, they are coming because they're thirsty for knowledge. They want to learn. They want to understand. So we don't really have a huge problem on the ranch itself as far as, you know, being a target. Um, But... 
you know, the stampede. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a bigger question and that's a bigger problem that they deal with, but that's definitely dealt with through head office. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the other thing with that is, is, is everybody's got a cell phone with a camera now, right? Mm-hmm. But you have to be kind of cognizant of anybody around if you're doing something that might seem to the, to, to the people that have no knowledge that it's, 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 it's not a good way to handle cattle, you know? So you have to be really careful when you're around people that they're, they, they're always taking pictures. And, and one thing, we're, we're very cognizant of that. Mm-hmm. And again, on that, with um, like even our brandings nowadays, the last, I guess, four years, we, um, we don't physically brand the calves anymore. We use, of course, RFID tags and whatnot. So really, we process them. So sometimes it's literally terminology and language that makes a difference in how things are presented. And people get a different feel for what you're doing when the terminology is uh, gentler, I guess we'll mm-hmm. say. Yeah. So processing is, is the term we use instead of branding mm-hmm. because people just assume that term means you're putting a hot brand on a calf. So anyway, that that's you know that's part of our um, education process as well. Mm-hmm. So then, my question would be this, and and that is, how do your neighbors or other folks there in the ranching industry in Alberta view what you're doing with that? Do they feel like you've conceded too far? Do you have any concerns with that? I don't have a concern with it because we still do everything pretty well, a horseback, and it's pretty authentic the way we run the ranch. I don't have a concern with what people say about it. It's. Uh, the neighbors kind of scoff a little bit when we won't call it a branding, we call it a processing, but uh, the same with them. They're all getting used to the fact that that's, that's the modern world today. Mm-hmm. Well, and you had mentioned this earlier, like the Calgary Stampede is under the microscope. And so we're not what you would consider like your, your typical working ranch. Um, we have different, different things to look at. We have different um, issues that may arise. And so when we do things, we we pay attention to how it's presented. Uh, yeah, even our cattle handling practices, we educate people on that. When they come for open farm days, we show them our maternity pens, we show them our shoots, and we, we talk about the safety of for animal and for the staff and everything. So we really just present it in a way that uh, I think is quite palatable for most people. We're very open and honest. We'll answer absolutely any question. And uh, I think people appreciate that. It's just the openness as well. So, yeah, no, we don't, uh, I don't think we worry too much about, uh, you know, that that component. That Because we're not trying to sanitize anything. We're just, we've adapted a few practices. But like Ken said, a lot of stuff is still done traditionally. Mm-hmm. With this being under the management of the Calgary Stampede in general, and then you you talked about there's a lot of work or collaboration with the Nature Conservancy. Let's get back to working with uh, under the management of the Calgary Stampede. When you all came in, you were the first managers that came in when it was donated to the Calgary Stampede. How did the plan come together? I'm sure, Ken, you had a lot to do that because they hired you as the ranch manager. So they, were, I'm sure they expected you to come in with, how do you see this this ranch being operated? But just in general, how is your work with the management of the Calgary Stampede? Actually, it's been a really good work. Um, when we came in, the first issue we actually had is that, that they had a 16,000-acre ranch and they cut it in half, at, you know, and we got 8,000 acres. 
Unfortunately, most of the water and the winter grazing was on the north end of the ranch. Mm -hmm. So our first, our first real job was to figure out what kind of rotation we could use on our cattle. And a lot of that had to do with water and where water was at at the time. Mm -hmm. Since then, we've, we've, we've developed quite a few water sources and it's helped our rotation. So that was the biggest concern at first was getting a rotation. And what we did is we started with a small herd. We only had 200 head to start with uh, just so that we could see how it would work. Mm -hmm. And now we've increased to 300 and we may even go bigger. We're not sure yet, but it, it, it was it was getting that rotation figured out and how to use the land base correctly. Mm -hmm. As far as the Calgary Stampede people, they uh, we would sit with them and explain what we were doing and what we thought we could do. We had maps drawn out so that we could show them the rotation. It, it uh, they were in agreement. Well, and I think as well when we first got here, um, the ranch was bare. There was no cattle. There wasn't even a wrench mm -hmm. on the ranch. There was buildings and land. So it was a process. Mm -hmm. It was a process of rebuilding and uh, getting the shop, uh, the mechanical shop, even up and running, uh, buying equipment, buying the first foundation herd to get started again. So that took that took a little bit of preparation and and time, and that was a that was a combined effort between uh, Calgary Stampede uh, management staff and and Ken as well here. So. You know, that took up a couple of years just getting all that in place. And then we've done a lot of infrastructure improvements as well over the last 10 years. Um, so, I mean, they provide an operating budget and a capital budget. And we've both got a Parks Canada background. Uh, we had been at the Bar U Ranch National Historic Site for 13 years. And so just had a good background in... Uh, well, number one, paperwork, <laughs> government, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, and even with you know infrastructure and projects and uh, all that kind of stuff. So I think that that helped with the the transition of getting the ranch up and running again. Yeah, like Deb was saying earlier, it's not your typical ranch, so we have to sit down and always have a five year capital plan in place. You know, always got to be planning ahead of time. It's almost like right, y'all all. Are, Always got to have a shelf-ready project that you can take stampede in case there's extra money to do something with, you know. And we're always looking at outside funding sources as well. Um, I mean, every rancher does, which yeah. is great. There's all <laughs> kinds of programs to help ranchers and farmers. So, I mean, we utilize all of that as well. So, yeah, there's a lot of administrative, ad work, uh, pardon me, administrative work as well, you know, as well as working the cattle. But one thing just to make note of with this ranch is that, on top of that, we also do uh, quite a few internal stampede events here. Mm -hmm. So you wouldn't see that on a regular working ranch. Like we'll, we'll have a large president's event that might have 500 people here. Mm. We'll have, um, Ken mentioned, the school groups. Uh, we'll have sponsorship rides out here. So we guide rides and, uh, you know, they'll do a luncheon and uh, we do a lot of PR work out here as well. Uh, as part of the stampede program, mm -hmm. so it is. A, it's a yeah. It's a little different uh, again than your typical working ranch. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you guys have your hands quite full between just the ranch work in general, plus uh, all the paperwork and then all of the other elements that go along with working with the Calgary Stampede. So, uh, Ken and Deb, I sure appreciate you guys taking the time out of the out of your afternoon here to join me here on the Working Ranch Radio Show. 
Well, thanks very much for having us. We've enjoyed it. Yes, thank you. Ken and Deb Pigeon are my guests today. Ken is the ranch manager for the OH Ranch that's owned by the Calgary Stampede Foundation. Deb, his wife, uh, helping along, working alongside of him, handling a lot of the paperwork as they share the duties there with uh, a lot of activity going on there on a ranch that not only has to operate as a, as a working ranch, but also a showcase to agriculture. And I guess before we completely head out from this segment, I, I want to share a few personal comments regarding this because I, I really do appreciate Ken and Deb's passion in taking on this role of managing a ranch that is in the public eye. And I think that is the, the component that you really need to understand and keep in mind as you listen to some of the things that they're having to do or that, that they do. Uh, not very many of our ranches have quite the microscope over them as much as probably they do. And when it comes down to some of the some of the things that I pulled out of it is they are doing practices on that ranch that really most ranches in this country need to be doing in some form or fashion. To the degree that, that you choose to do it, you may not need to or have to. But the thinking behind that and understanding that if we're going to see have a have a ranching industry in 30, 40, 50, 70, 100 years down the road, there may be things that we will have to consider changing. And I believe that if we were to completely turn our backs on never changing anything, that will be the death of our industry. And so, again, I appreciate Ken and Deb sharing with us from their perspective, from their ranching operation, just how they deal with it. And uh, I think it was very, for me, and I hope for you, it was interesting to hear that perspective and know that maybe there's some things that we should consider as we strive to see our ranching industry have a sustainable future. Well, stay with us. We're going to head into our weather next as meteorologist Don Day joins us with a look at our long-term weather. We'll be back on the Working Ranch Radio Show after this. Do you have a young child, grandchild, niece, or nephew that loves the weather and wants to learn more? Day Weather has produced a children's weather journal full of weather facts, fun weather experiments, coloring pages, and pages to record weather observations for every season of the year. The weather journal is for ages 3 to 7 and designed to be fun and educational. The interactive weather projects are fun for the whole family to take part in. For only $10, the Day Weather Weather Journal is a great gift idea for any occasion. Click on our Amazon link to order at dayweather.com. And we welcome you back here to the Working Ranch Radio Show as we turn now to a look at our long-term weather. Joining us, as he always does, is meteorologist Don Day. And uh, Don, we're seeing some good moisture now across the southern plains into Texas, Oklahoma. But just in general, you're thinking that the, the worst is behind us when it comes to these extreme hot temperatures. Yeah, while we're still going to have some days that are going to be hot, the long string of, you know, five, six, seven, ten days of real hot weather that a lot of the central and the southern plains has endured this summer, don't see that anymore. Uh, the pattern's getting a little more active. The jet stream is taking a few more forays out of Canada and into the lower 48 states. And we're also going to see a lot of uh, subtropical moisture get kind of bottled up across the southern part of the United States. And this would go basically from Arizona to New Mexico to across Texas, parts of Oklahoma, into the Gulf Coast region. So uh, a lot of Texas is going to see the most rain they've seen all summer season 
here over the next couple of weeks. That will act as kind of an air conditioner to cool things off a little bit. And we see systems moving into the upper Midwest and Corn Belt and into the Great Lakes. And these systems will bring slightly cooler temperatures at times and more rain chances. So this is going to kind of throttle summer heat back. We still will have some heat into the Pacific Northwest, the interior West, um, but not nearly the widespread heat we saw for most of June and July and early August. Mm -hmm. So real quick, as we're talking about seeing that moisture down into the Southern Plains area, let's let's stay kind of in that typical or geography area and you're also saying we could start to now see a little bit more tropical storm activity. Yeah, I tell you, it's been a very, very quiet tropical season, both in the Pacific and the Atlantic and the Caribbean and the Gulf Coast areas. However, we did see a little bit of a tropical system develop early this week across portions of far west Texas. That's kind of a harbinger of things to come because there's been kind of a lid on the atmosphere, keeping thunderstorm activity at a minimum in the Atlantic, but that's going to change. And those thunderstorms, when they get organized, will turn into tropical storms and hurricanes. So as we get into this next seven to 21 day period, expect to be hearing on the news about the formation of tropical depressions, tropical storms and hurricanes, the Gulf Coast region, the Southeast United States certainly are going to be under the gun. Mm-hmm. Let's head now to the Pacific Northwest and the Western or Northern tier of the country, because some of the weather patterns that you've identified for us that is changing a little bit, instead of that kind of normal one swoop down, we're starting to see a little bit more wave pattern coming out of Alaska and up in the Northern country, which is indicative of what we're going to be seeing for more, for uh, weather here in the next 10 to 15, 20 days. Yeah, for sure. It really does look like we're going to see a couple of frontal systems right at the end of this month and into early September that will get into the Pacific Northwest and into the Northern Rockies and Northern Plains that will really bring really some first little tastes of fall. You no, know, nothing dramatic as it looks right now, uh, but we are definitely seeing things in the nor- Northern latitudes get colder and more busy, busy, meaning more fronts, more low pressure systems. So that does show us that as we get to the end of august into early september we're going to have a couple of shots of some cooler weather come into those northern areas now i heard you say that on your podcast a week or so ago that we could see some some colder weather coming in when you say that give me an idea how much i mean are we talking freeze type temperatures or are we just saying cooler than 90 degrees what we've had (laughs) (laughs) well certainly i i I don't see an early freeze headed into the northern plains or the corn belt or anything like that between now and early september Uh, but what i do see uh, are some days of being 15 25 degree temperatures below average so that means some days that may only be in the 60s and some 40s at night. Some of those higher mountain valleys of Montana and Wyoming and Alberta, you know, you're going to start seeing some 30s Mm -hmm. uh, for overnight low temperatures in those areas. And the thing to remember, too, is that with the shorter days and these frontal systems bringing in drier air, that drier air mass that comes out of Western Canada at times can make those nighttime temperatures quite a bit cooler as well. And that's one reason why we just see the worst of the heat for the summer coming to an end because of these systems. You bet. All right. Well, that gives us a good idea. Good news for folks down in the Southern Southern Plains uh, in terms of the moisture and that they've already had some this last weekend or this weekend, but uh, we don't want to see too much activity on the tropical front, but good news for them and uh, some good news for, for folks at least cooling down here. 
Yeah, I think everyone's ready for that. You bet. All right. Well, thanks for joining us here on, on our program today. Thanks for having me. And again, that was meteorologist Don Day with a look at our long-term weather. His website, dayweather.com. And that's a good spot to go and find his daily video podcast through there. Also, you can search on YouTube as well. And uh, he does a great job throughout the week of identifying things that are indicators of what maybe our long-term weather is going to look like across the country. So uh, check it out. Every Monday through Friday morning, dayweather.com is the site you can can find Don Day's weather podcast. We'll stay with us when we come back. We'll put a wrap on this week's episode when we return on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Living in the country means working in the country, and that calls for a tough tractor. Well, Bobcat has 15 models in its compact tractor lineup from 21 to 58 horsepower. With the help of your local Bobcat dealer, you'll find a perfect match for your property and to-do list. Get a look at all the different models at Bobcat.com, and while you're there, use the Build and Quote tool to design your ideal machine. Get yourself one tough tractor from one tough animal. Bobcat. Visit Bobcat.com. Well, before we shut the barn doors on this episode of the Working Ranch Magazine, have you seen the new redesigned website of Working Ranch Magazine? I'll tell you what, if you have not been there in a while, check it out, workingranchmag.com. Not only can you get subscribed to Working Ranch Magazine, if you're not a subscriber, get started. The next issue has been to print. It's going to be heading out here shortly. You can get subscribed there. Also, you can see a list of some of the recent podcasts, a link to get to our podcast site as well. And like the captain was saying earlier, we've had some great shows here lately. Is the BLM Out of Bounds was one using long-term forecasts for stocking decisions. How about drones on today's ranch? That was one. And of course, last week's, this one has been a popular one, the six P's to a healthy ranching business. So check it out. The new redesigned website of Working Ranch Magazine at workingranchmag.com. A quick thank you to our sponsors here today, Gelvey and Balancer, the smart, reliable, and profitable choice. For more information, go to gelvey.org. And Zoetis, it's the little things that can derail progress, but your herd can be covered. Visit GetLessParasites.com for solutions from Zoetis. And the American Akaushi Association. Experience the difference at Akaushi.com. The Working Ranch Radio Show is a production of Working Ranch Magazine, branded number one by America's Ranchers. Join us next week, same time, same place. I'm your host, Justin Mills, and until next time, keep your chin down and your mind in the middle. So long.